You know, there's so much happening in cannabis, in the culture, in the politics, in the business end of it. So who has all the answers? Nobody has all the answers, but we went to a guy who has a front row seat to all the action. His name is Javier Hesse. He's a writer for Forbes and runs the cannabis desk at Benzinga. We're really honored to have him on the show this week to talk about what's happening in cannabis. It's a great conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. And if you are a first time listener, please look us up on Apple Podcasts or CastBox or Overcast or wherever you listen and leave a review because we're trying to extend our reach and just get the news out about all these various aspects of cannabis that we discuss here on the Kind of Boomers podcast. Enjoy the show. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Hey, welcome to the show. We have Javier Hase with us today. Honored to be on one of my favorite cannabis podcasts. Javier is author of Start Your Own Cannabis Business, He's a native of Argentina. He is also director of the Cannabis Desk at Benzinga and a contributor at Forbes. So he really knows his territory. We're honored to have him on the show and eager to roll into this and, and start talking all things cannabis. Let's do it. You're back home right now. I am. Got back from a three-week trip uh, around the U.S., actually just New York and Detroit. Um, and then back home in Argentina for one or two weeks, depending on the next uh, trip, which is out to Colombia, where, as you might be aware, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening around cannabis, legal cannabis, medical exports. So, you know, exciting always and very happy to be home. Cannabis is not legal in Argentina. Yes, that is correct. We have a medical program. It's very limited. Uh, mostly CBD oils. I think right now we only have uh, Charlotte's Web and maybe some of Tilray's products through Compassionate Use. Um, to a certain extent in certain jurisdictions, cannabis is, is decriminalized and you won't get in terrible trouble for having a couple plants or some weed on you, but it's uh, certainly not an ideal uh, scenario. As I'm sure anyone around the world feels about their own country, even in Uruguay or Canada, where you have fully legal cannabis, people are still not fully pleased, right? <laughs> Things are happening very quickly. And in the United States 10 years ago, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But you're right there at the intersection of culture and policy and law and finance. And it's your job to cover this every day. That's amazing to me. And do you ever pinch yourself and go, wow, this is unreal? Are you kidding me? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up every day and go like, what is in, you know, in, in my schedule for today? And I go like, oh, so this rapper, then this politician, then, you know, reading some cannabis stuff, then writing about cannabis and then going on Cannaboomers podcast. It's like, what the hell is this day about? Or imagine when I wake up and I'm doing facility tours, I wake up in the Colombian Caribbean and, and I know that I'm, you know, I wake up by the Caribbean sea and, and within 20, I know I, it'll take a 20 minute drive up the mountain, uh, to end up in a 12,000, uh, plants, uh, outdoor cannabis grow with, you know, canopy as far as your eyesight can go. Like, it's surreal. Last week I was in Detroit for the Cannabis Cup. Suddenly someone uh, at, at High Times who knows me very well comes along and he goes like, hey, come come with me. And they take me on stage. So I'm watching Wu-Tang Clan, these guys I love, from on the stage. That is so what? cool. What the <laughs> hell? Major perks to this job. <laughs> yeah. 
what's your favorite part of this? And do you do you cover like finance? I mean, Benzinga, I was unfamiliar with them, frankly, but I was impressed when I looked at your site. It's it's almost kind of like Bloomberg, right? It's very finance oriented. Definitely, we actually have a very similar platform called Benzinga Pro. It's it's uh, uh, comparable to the terminal. Uh, Benzinga has been around for several years, and we started I started writing about cannabis for them also several years ago, and, and you know they noticed the practice was growing. Uh, we now uh, have a team of over thirty people working on cannabis initiatives every day, and uh, you know put out. Some, somewhere between 20 to 30 articles a day, mostly about finance and business, but other stuff as well. I mean, I got into cannabis uh, from the finance angle, but you know, my, my true passion is, is cannabis as a whole, right? As a plant, as a movement, as a medicine, as, a, as an instrument for social justice, for gender equality, uh, you know, for, for tax revenue, for the development of education, for general wellness and well-being, just, you know, there's so many facets. It touches on so many things. It's just like, you know, there's so much you can say about cannabis. Yeah, it really is the social movement of our time. And what a front row seat you have to be able to let your curiosity just drive you and find the things that you know your readers want to know about. Yeah, definitely. Funny enough, uh, a lot of, of uh, a lot of what we cover is definitely determined by our readership, and then a lot is just determined by why I what I think or what our editors think is 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 important, right? We we don't just cater to clicks. We really want to share whatever we think is is important for people to know. And sometimes we get we get crap over it. Sometimes because it's not finance related. Sometimes because it is, and people go like, oh this is not relevant to me. And it's like, yeah, well, but it's relevant to the investors of this company and, and vice versa. Sometimes investors go like, well, what do I care about social equity? And it's like, well, if you're investing in this space, you should care. If you don't, it's your problem, but I do. So <laughs> here's our yeah. content, read it, not read it. <laughs> right. We try to deliver this service to the, the community as a whole and to knowledge, not just, you know, not just clicks. It's more than just a finance story. This affects people at a very intimate level when they're taking it as a medicine or or using it in different ways. Definitely. Yeah. As as I mentioned, like just the reach of this plant of the movement and and everything around it is just dazzling. And I I don't know, I I really don't know how to describe it other than, you know, awe-inspiring. It blows my mind every day. The comparison that a lot of people want to make because it's handy is how does this compare to alcohol? And, you know, there's different ways you could look at that in terms of health or finance. But as a market, you know, there's a lot of people around the world drinking a lot of alcohol. Does cannabis eventually become the new alcohol? Uh, I mean, it's diff- It's definitely different. Uh, I do consume alcohol, but to be totally candid, it kind of sucks. You know, it makes you feel great and then it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it really provides nothing but a good time. I mean, everything in its right measure is, is good. And, and, you know, there's certainly certain alcoholic beverages like wine that are believed or set to have, uh, you know, some positive properties for the body. But yeah, cannabis does not compare uh, in the sense that it's it's really good for you, period. I mean, it's uh, we, we can discuss if, if smoking is the best way to... Uh, consume it or not definitely smoke is never good for you but it is becoming an alternative uh we can see that in the numbers you know uh, alcohol companies 
where recreational cannabis is legalized are feeling the impact. They are definitely preparing for this situation by making massive investments in the industry, as we've seen, for instance, by Constellation Brands made this four to five billion dollar investment into canopy growth. Uh, Constellation makes Corona beers, among other stuff, uh, and several other uh, <coughs> makers are getting into the space. From you know, uh, Molson is it Molson Coors? I'm not sure. Uh, last week we learned this. Uh, Michigan uh, craft brewery, one of my favorites in America, called Shorts Brewing, uh, also signed a deal to 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 get into cannabis by you know doing edibles uh, and and licensing some of its flavors. It's it's you know it's never ending, and you see that Lagunitas uh, beer has its its Hi-Fi hops product, and so I mean. Definitely, there's an impact. We can definitely see also in the statistics that younger generations prefer um, cannabis over alcohol. You know, it's it's in the decline. It's like smoking. It's one of these things that might feel great in the short term, but then in the medium and long term, they they tend to suck and they tend to have very negative effects. So, uh, it is certainly yeah. a threat. I, I don't see alcohol disappearing from the world. A lot of people don't like cannabis. A lot of people. Uh, don't uh, feel comfortable with cannabis, just don't like the effect. Uh, and, and of course, alcohol does get you in a different mood, right? It's not like it, it, cannabis is appropriate for every situation where you believe alcohol can work as a social lubricant or, or general relaxation tool, right? Right. The more we learn about, as the science comes online and we learn about our endocannabinoid system and all the cannabinoids in this plant and the terpenes and, and how they interact with our whole system, we know for sure it's not a poison the way alcohol is. It, it has medicinal properties. And while it, it may have an intoxicating effect, yeah, you don't get that hangover and it's never killed anyone. And alcohol has killed plenty of people. <laughs> massive amount of people and and that is not even counting impaired driving right so just like from liver disease and stuff like that people die a lot and then yeah. you know drunk drivers are eh, it's another big issue um and and i mean it's even if anecdotal there's there's actual scientific evidence to back all these claims but even anecdotally any person Sometimes data is not enough to convince someone of anything. It's like when I try to explain to older generations about benefits of cannabis, they don't really believe me. They still think it's this thing where you see pink elephants until and until they experience it themselves, they are they are skeptical. Same goes for for this situation with alcohol. How many times have you wake woke up uh, with a hangover because you drunk more than you should have? Probably many. I mean, I'm not saying you did, but like. Most people at a certain point of their lives have. And, and you know, the, the worst thing that uh, you can feel from smoking too much cannabis is, you know, waking up the next day and being like, oh, I'm lazy, you know, or a little bit foggy. But it, it's not like you you cannot get out of bed because you're throwing up or whatever, right? Right. So you guys cover it from sort of a business angle. What do you see as the big story there? They call it the green rush instead of the gold rush. And there's growers, there's distributors, there's extractors. I mean, there's marketers. There's all kinds of people rushing into this market. What do you see from your level? I mean, as you say, it's a green rush. I do not dislike that definition. Um, uh, many say it's over. Many say it's not. What I see is a business like suddenly being born 
and developed all around the world, right? It's something that, yeah, we, we used to have a lot of illicit cannabis sales in the past. Now suddenly it's becoming a real business everywhere. It's a new business with built-in demand. So it's massive on every level. Any country that legalizes sees an instant or any jurisdiction for, you know, for what it's worth, sees a, a massive uptick in, in, you know, tax revenue and, and, and jobs and, 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 you know, and the spillover effect within the economy, just not, not the actual sales, but sales, but the economic impact, all these uh, industries or sub sectors of the industry that develop around cultivation, retail and transportation, right? As you mentioned, there's a lot more to cannabis legalization and the market and the industry than just growing, selling or moving weed around, right? There is, there is everything from from software services geared toward tracking cannabis to physical security services that are uh, you know specialized in serving dispensaries because of course you don't want this kind of badass looking uh, security guard when you go get your cannabis to agricultural technology companies you know creating uh, new systems to automate cannabis cultivation to a certain extent right because the cannabis plant is very unique so it's not like you can use many of the pre-existing technologies, right? It takes a lot of human care. It takes a lot of attention. Very specific. It has very specific stri- uh, traits, and every strain has its own very specific traits and and the conditions it needs to grow and thrive and develop the most amount of cannabinoids and 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 you know full profile that it can offer. It is a big sprawling story with many aspects. In California, we're coming up on two years of legalization, and I spoke last week with someone from the Bureau of Cannabis Control, and legalization is not a binary switch where it's done. It's like everything you just talked about, there's an evolving set of circumstances where sometimes legislators and and agencies have to come back around and address this again. That's probably going to continue on the legal level and enforcement level, and, you know, as we learn more and more about the plant itself. Yeah, definitely. This is something I think you're spot on with. This, this is something I love to, to tell people in California and Colorado and Canada. They go like fake legalization. There's a lot of issues. And I'm like, I agree, but to be grateful and mindful of the fact that this is a social movement that is moving forward faster than any other social movement in the world and probably in history. The amount of countries that legalized last year in one or another form isn't the dozens, right? Like the fact that we came up with, uh, you know, regulations and laws that didn't exist and we had never thought about until less than a decade ago, is a massive step forward, right? It's, it's, you can't expect people because the government are, you know, it's, it's people, it's people often doing their best uh, to, to defend public interest. And, you know, yeah, they roll out regulations and they won't get it right the first time. There's no way they're getting it right. Uruguay is five years into recreational legalization and only now they're figuring out how to advance their system into a more commercial sort of thing with a more, more of a medical focus. At first, they just rolled it out because the president said, like, I am tired of people going to jail for using cannabis. And I am tired of seeing all the kids in my country fall victims of what is an equivalent to crack it's called pago and and you know that was it he was like whatever and he just gave out two licenses they started growing it outdoors like it was you know wheat instead of weed 
and and they started selling them in pharmacies at like a dollar a gram. They have evolved since they they have now come out with micro licenses and processing licenses, all these things that no one ever thought would be necessary at first. I mean, the industry is developing, and and there's no real way to know what it is we need until we find out. <laughs> so right, right. Yeah. If I had a message for, for people, for instance, in California is do keep fighting the fight, but be mindful of the fact that this is a process and it builds on itself, right? It's, it's, we learn from, from what we've done and we try to correct our past mistakes, our wrongdoings. Uh, and I mean, in, in, in that sense, probably the first one to address is incarcerated people. I think you're exactly right about that. There's the whole social equity piece, which some states have built in where the first business opportunities for dispensaries or whatever go to people who were previously incarcerated rather than guys in white collars who are well-financed, well-capitalized. If they can make that happen, I, I think that's fantastic. Everyone's priorities are different. But if I had to establish mine in relation to why I care about legalization would be kids dying, then adults dying, then people being incarcerated, then the rest, right? It's just like, there's three things we can, like all of us as a society can definitely agree on. Kids shouldn't be dying because they can't access cannabis. Adults shouldn't be dying because they can't access cannabis. And nonviolent people should not be in jail because of things related to cannabis. The rest is debatable. We can have our opinions and what's the best use, the best way to regulate it. But these are the three main things that we've been doing extremely wrong and wronging people and that, that definitely need addressing now, not tomorrow, not not a month from now, but you know, today. <laughs> Absolutely. The whole backdrop is 100 years of propaganda in the United States and, and around the world, I think, where it was a racist provocation. You know, there was a story told that it was Mexicans and, and black jazz musicians who became murderously violent when they smoked cannabis. And that's why you shouldn't allow your kids. And, and everybody bought it for decades. Yeah, you know? it was propagated to the entire world. I mean, everywhere around the world, same as in the US, you'd get cannabis medicine advertised on mainstream newspapers and then overnight, you know, uh, this, this guy from California actually decided he hated weed and you know it was not really weed actually so here's an interesting tidbit um, many might know many might not there was this article that came out a few years ago in harper's magazine where uh president nixon's top aide who who developed really who was behind the development of the war on drugs said clearly we could not criminalize being black or latino so we criminalized the the drugs they consumed instead and did everything within our power to increase you know the the the, the levels of consumption and he said it it's on record we could not criminalize being a minority so we criminalized their practices which, by the way, has also proven to be wrong. ACLU stats show that consumption levels, you know, percentage-wise among, among white and black people for cannabis are the same. You know, not, no, despite of this fact, uh, black people are four times more likely to be incarcerated for cannabis possession. So it's clear as day. It's really time to go back and, and rewrite history a little bit and undo some of that damage and A, tell the truth about the plant and B, let people know that it, it's actually a legitimate medicine and, and people who were incarcerated, we owe them some kind of debt to help them get back on track. 
So what, what do you think is a, is a way to go around it or about it? Well, some states, they are offering to let people who are incarcerated have first shot at a dispensary. I don't know if they're well equipped to run a business if they've been locked up for a while. I mean, that's yeah. another question. I don't know what else, what, what the answers are, but I think it's something that, that needs to be looked at. I mean, there's a lot of expungement programs I like. Some states have, you know, better expungement programs than others. Basically, expunging a record is, is releasing someone who is nonviolent and cleaning up their record so that they can get a regular job. Uh, Steve D'Angelo recently announced a program of his own called The Last Prisoner Project, which also, which also seeks to address this. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of organizations certainly fighting for this. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't. <laughs> that was actually my alarm for the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, we did start early. Uh, we were early. Um, there's a lot of, of organizations actually, you know, fighting for this. So it's um, find out. I would tell people find out which ones are operating within your jurisdiction and and try to support them. So here's a question from your vantage point. I don't know if you have a crystal ball, but what do you see happening with in the U.S. with federal legalization? Do you think that's going to happen anytime soon? Probably. I mean, everything points toward the fact that we're moving in the right direction. Too many jurisdictions uh, have legalized by now. Most Democratic, if, if not all Democratic candidates have included cannabis legalization or decriminalization at the very least uh, in their platforms. Uh, some are more progressive than others. Um, and even Republicans have come in support, come out in support of this. There's just like massive taxation, uh, you know, implications. So it's, um, it seems to be one of these things where, I mean, the, the, the American population right now supports legalization at a higher percentage than they have ever supported any candidate, right? 66, 67% support. You know, no, no candidate has ever <laughs> gotten <laughs> almost 70% of the votes in the U.S. So it's, you know, wh whether it's Donald Trump, uh, you know, moving forward or Congress moving forward before the elections or right after, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time. And it seems like not a lot of time. You know, America does not love to be left behind. And a lot of countries are moving forward with legalization and, and you know, uh, the, the example of Canada has been, you know, pretty, um, it's been a good learning experience, I'd say, because uh, with Canada being, you know, so cannabis positive and cannabis forward, uh, most cannabis companies have been listing in Canadian stock exchanges, especially the major American companies. Uh, which is curious to say the least, considering the two largest exchanges in the world, the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, you know, almost like the poster uh, boy and girl, if you want to uh, finance around the world, uh, you know, are, are missing out on this. And suddenly the Canadian Securities Exchange and the Toronto Stock Exchange are, you know, profiting. And and, and again, it's, it's one of these things where it's... Uh, it's a matter of time before uh, a majority of politicians in America realize it's, you know, we won't, we don't want to be late to this, to this point. Right. And we're the, already yeah. a little late, right? But it's, it's like, 
I want to be late, but not late enough where they stopped, you know, uh, letting people in or serving alcohol, right? I don't want to be at a party at 2 a.m. It's fine if I'm there by midnight. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, if we let them have too far of a head start, that's billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars of economic progress that you're, you're letting your neighbor to the north have. You know, by all means, they haven't done it perfectly. I, I see a lot of complaints about what's going on up there. But mm-hmm. um, I think we're at 32 or 33 states now medicinally in the U.S. And, and 12 or 13 for, quote unquote, recreational. We're getting close to that tipping point. And when it does happen federally, then do we have things like, OK, Oregon can ship their surplus down to California or uh, yeah. is interstate commerce going to open up all sorts of things that we haven't even thought about yet yeah. might might happen even that that might happen even before federal legalization actually there is um oregon as you mentioned issued its its own uh guidelines to export and you know given certain uh federal provisions uh there might be something happening before for legalization right whether it's the states act that allows for this or maybe even safe banking. I don't know what what it will be, probably the States Act. Um, But there's certainly potential there and there's certainly a lot more potential in international exports. I don't see uh, America exporting cannabis flour just because the cost is extremely high when, when compared to Latin American countries or African countries or Asian countries, right? So I don't see America exporting dried flour, but America has always been a champion when it comes to world commerce in sophisticated, elaborated products and processed products, right? So there's a lot of, of, of potential there as well, right? Right now, uh, illegality is hindering the development of all these uh, ancillary industries. But, you know, I do believe that when federal legalization comes uh, and, and uh, cannabis is re or descheduled, we'll see a lot of... of pharmaceutical products being exported from the U.S., maybe even like, I don't know, cannabis Advil or Tylenol, who knows, right? So there's there's potential not just for interstate commerce, but for, for you know, establishing a, a global footprint as, you know, as a country we have done with many other uh, products. As a leader in innovation, right? I've been hearing about, and you may know about this, but um, like yeast grown in a lab, cannabis, where you can manipulate the cannabinoids, mm-hmm. cannabinoids and grow at a scale that you just can't outside or, or inside. But when you do it in a, in a lab, they do it with vanilla and, and a lot of other things, right? Yeah. Um, do you know about that? I mean, yeah. So there's, there's very like diverse uh, approaches to the formulation of synthetic cannabinoids and naturally occurring cannabinoids uh, beyond uh, the cannabis plant. Right now, all these these processes seem to be in their infancy. Uh, We heard for a while uh, several companies claim they could develop cannabis from, uh, what's what? What's beer made of? I forget what's like, a word. Uh, hop, hops and hops. Malts. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So they could extract CBD from hops because it was uh, present in a certain uh, type of hops. The, the These claims have been pretty disputed right now. Same with the yeast project. It, it's, it's, you know, it's something that we'll probably see in the future. Right now, uh, we can develop 
cannabinoids synthetically in labs, uh, just not so much naturally occurring. Mm -hmm. uh, but like with any other medication, there will certainly be certain applications where it will be uh, more efficient, efficacious, convenient, cheaper, whatever it is to develop uh, cannabinoids in a lab and many others where we, we won't be able to do that. We all talk a lot about the entourage effect, the full spectrum, right? And, and all these things are probably very hard to achieve in a lab, right? Mm -hmm. But there is probably space in the world for diverse formulations uh, and, and, and each one will probably suit a particular type of consumer, a particular type of use and ailments, etc. cetera. Uh, but it, it, it's an interesting thing to watch uh, as uh, many plant fundamentalists will go like, no thanks, no, no yeast for me. It's like, it's fantastic, great. You don't use it. But I welcome every development that can help people, right? I am pragmatic in that way. Just, I, I won't say like, oh no, cannabinoids only from cannabis because we actually know there's many other foods that also have cannabinoids. So why not explore them? Right. Uh, there's a, a pharmacy in this plant to be explored. And if it is in a lab or sun grown or indoor grown, and it may be just learning how to extract it and concentrate it. And maybe you pull out the cannabinoids that way too. But yeah, there's so much that's going to happen as we move forward. I mean, I know from some spices, for instance, that have different cannabinoid profiles, cinnamon, black pepper, um, herbs like rue, um, broccoli, kale, Right there's um, a an interesting array of cannabinoids that we should be uh, investigating and looking into with more detail. It is something that today we haven't done much, not only because of cannabis's illegality, but also because of, of lack of general interest around the uh, medical properties of cannabinoids in general. Well, and as there's more research, as the shackles come off and there's actually clinical studies, we're going to know a lot more about where to go with it. Yeah, definitely. People, I, I like to tell that, uh, you know, to people, say that to people a lot. It's just, um, there is no longer just anecdotal evidence to support many of the claims made around cannabis. There is double and triple blind three-phased clinical trials to support certain claims, like it helps with epilepsy as a combination therapy. There is certainly no evidence to say it cures cancer. So please don't drop your chemo for cannabis. There is evidence, however, to, 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 to support the claim that it does help with things like chemotherapy-induced nausea or pain, right? Or even uh, chemotherapy-induced uh, neuro Pathia, neuropathy. That's that's mm -hmm. a word. <laughs> that sounds right. I'm sorry. I'm not a native English speaker. I do, I do my best to nail all of the words, but oh. it's, sometimes it's You're... just like you know a whole different planet for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing great. I, I've stumbled over neuropathy myself, and but I think you nailed it. It's The plant is not a panacea. It's not perfect for everything. It has a wide array of uses that are kind of amazing yeah. and that are still being discovered. When I conduct interviews or chat with people, certain people say things and they stick with me for years and I just quote them over and over and over and over again. 
One of these was um, Marvin Washington. Uh, he he mentioned probably four years ago during a conversation. He said people like to say cannabis is a cure all do all. It is not. Please be careful. And and I've just quoted that one again and again. It's not a cure all do all, right? It it's got specific uses and then it's got like of course general uses that are more anecdotal like yeah i feel great like sometimes i'm high i feel great that is definitely well-being i always say that is a part of wellness uh, there's no reason to uh you know scoff at uh recreational cannabis users which is pretty trendy right now a lot of people just go like oh it's not all about cbd and wellness well yeah I definitely argue well-being is a part of wellness. Me being happy at the end of the day because of some cannabis sativa is definitely part of my well-being and my, sorry, my wellness, right? So who is to say what's the appropriate use for, for cannabis? You know, CBD is well accepted because we know it's good for anxiety. It's good for pain. It's good for insomnia. But yeah, I, I think that's where the Puritans, um, lose track and go, okay, if you're going to have fun, <laughs> that, we're against that. Um, That's crazy. I- That's crazy. The, the, the idea that medicating cannot be fun. And I mean, to a certain explain, ex- extent, I do feel that's the point of for many people for, you know, the, the main reason why they medicate with cannabis, right? Why are edibles so popular? Because you're not taking a pill. You don't feel ill and not feeling <laughs> ill you know, the psychological component of every illness is often, you know, very important to how you actually deal with it. So honestly, taking five pills or eating some cannabis infused whatever, you know, can make a big difference. I, I often recommend people, they go like, well, what should I do? And I go, well, find a very good uh, product that fits your your certain conditions, we'll look into them, we investigate a little bit, but then I, I go like, well, try and putting this into CBD, uh, into olive oil, well, finding an actual olive oil, right? It doesn't taste like cannabis, you, you don't feel it. You just put two spoonfuls of olive oil in your midday salad and you're medicating, right? So who says it shouldn't be fun, right? People like CBD, it's it's medical because it doesn't get you high and, cannab- and, and you know, cannabis as a whole plant does. Well, there's a lot of ailments that need THC to be treated correctly, right? Well, if it's also fun, that's awesome. Like, what's wrong with it? I had Mara Gordon on the show and I think the way she put it was, well, it lets you put your pain away from yourself. It's like you can, you still have the pain, but you compartmentalize it. When you have cannabis in your tool chest, you can think of your pain in a different way. It's there, but you tolerate it differently because of your mindset. I agree completely. I mean, again, the, the psychological component is is massive in any um, and all, I think, illnesses and, and how you deal with them. And I, I've, I've had this experience uh, in relation with very close people in my life and family members. And, you know, it really helped. It, it, it's not just the actual pain relief or the actual clinical effect, but also this, this feeling of feeling better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Having some, uh, a sense of euphoria, uh, you know, having a smile on your face. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely helpful. 
How long have you had this job? And in that time, have you seen what have, have you seen happen with the stigma around cannabis? Funny you, you asked. So like five years ago, I was writing about hedge funds, insider trading, just classic finance for several big media outlets, very serious. And someone asked me if I would write a, an article about cannabis stocks and related plays. And I had to put a lot of thought into it. Like, do I jeopardize this career? I'm this guy from Argentina traveling the world, you know, making US dollars. And like, do I jeopardize my career to write about weed? Because cannabis, deep down, it's weed. We don't like to call that anymore. But it, 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 that's what it is, right? So when I told my parents, for instance, they were like, you're crazy. You're, you're completely out of mind. <laughs> you know, and, and he asked my editor, can I sign it as Mr. Hayes? And he goes like, no way. It's your name or you don't publish it. It's fine if you don't want to. Uh, so a lot has changed since. You know, when I started writing about cannabis finance, there was probably one or two other people doing that, like Deborah Borchardt and Alan Brockstein and, and to a certain extent, you know, that was it. The, so a, a lot has changed so extremely fast, right? And and again, it's it, it sounds like, I mean, it's changes so fast. It it, it it almost sounds like a lifetime when it comes to legal cannabis. Uh, people have been doing things with cannabis and about cannabis for decades, centuries, millennia. Uh, but in the legal front, uh, it's it's you know it's changed really fast, and and stigma has changed a lot people who would definitely not hear me out a few years ago all these investment people and whatever when i brought up cannabis they were like yeah yeah just like crypto it's bs and it's like now they come to me and they go like oh javier uh we we know you're into cannabis uh what kind of opportunities are you seeing it's like weren't you not comfortable with this just like two years ago right and I mean, stigma-wise, also like just as a society, we we really have progressed a lot and come to understand uh, the benefits of, of cannabis from a medicinal standpoint. And we now know about medical cannabis or medical marijuana, or how you want to call it. Uh, five years ago, probably people brought up medical cannabis, and and most people are like, no, this is a bunch of hippies just trying to find an excuse to get high. Like this is just. You know, they're calling it medicine, but it's not. Well, guess what? It is. And now people know. Again, we were lied to for almost 100 years and there was a lot of underground knowledge. And maybe you, you got High Times magazine, you know, in the in the 80s. But there's been an explosion of knowledge. And again, the Internet probably has fueled a lot of this. But you guys are at a point where you're publishing 20 or 30 stories a day on cannabis. So the knowledge is exploding right now. So it's really an interesting time. We've reached the tipping point, I think, and and you can't put that genie back in the bottle, right? The genie is out of the proverbial bottle. <laughs> one, one, of, one of my repeat quotes taken from, I don't even remember who it was, but I like the addition of proverbial <laughs> and I just use it now. I, I think I, I learned that word back then. So now I use it for for other things like when you miss you know when when you say something that's a little bit wrong i go like i'm i believe i'm pissing out of the proverbial toilet so now i just <laughs> use it here and there just so that people don't don't think i'm being literal about it <laughs> like no no don't worry i'm not peeing right now it's just an expression it's just the translation of a spanish expression that clearly does not translate well into english so proverbial 
I think we can say the stigma is is abating somewhat, and we're we're moving into a more open era. Let me ask you: Do you prefer sativa or indica? I love sativas. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, I think it's it's different for everyone. Uh, it really depends on what you're looking for, uh, as you might be a lot more, much more aware than I am. I am not a, an expert in product or consumption. Uh, I do love cannabis, but you know I'm, I'm I'm not particularly familiar with all of the products. I know that what they are, I know they exist, uh, I know what they do, I know how they feel. But if you ask me, it's like uh, I, I don't know. I like a joint. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I mean, it's it's definitely a personal choice and also a, a matter of the moment, right? If you're going to consume some, some strong sativa before going to bed, you're not going to get asleep. You're not going to fall asleep. Right. But if you're going to smoke some indica in the middle of the day or after you're done with work and whatever, it's maybe you just feel lazy as hell afterwards. Right. You know, it's if, if you're hanging out with your friends and you want to have a blast and be laughing out loud, you know, no, just wetting your pants with laughter. It's probably a sativa. If what, right? If what you're looking for is a little bit of relaxation before exercise, maybe try a very low dose of an indica, or right. So it's um, there's not one answer. But if I if you're asking about my personal predilection, I go sativa. Well, I, I think you're right, and I've heard some people say, oh, those are meaningless, that the cultivars have been so crossed over and, and there's so many hybrids. And Oh, that is I, true. <laughs> but I, I think it, they are useful in that you can hang your hat on, well, I'm, I want to be energized or I want to relax. And hopefully, oh, yeah. hopefully whoever grew this is calling it what it should be called in order for me to understand the effect it's going to have but mm-hmm. i don't know the, the names of the cultivars don't don't tell us anything and i don't know when there will be a classification system but i hear you saying you know for for all of us i think there's trial and error required in this you're not going to know how you are going to react to that edible so be careful don't eat the whole candy bar you know <laughs> have ha- have a, a gummy and not three to start and <laughs> you know, you're going to find out something. And I've tried an indica before doing yoga and found it's really amazing. It can really make a difference in your workout. And like you say, you you don't want to hit a sativa or an energizing cultivar before you go to bed because you'll be up all night. So I mean, as you say, trial and error, it's like, I do believe uh, we're moving toward more trial and less error. Fortunately, you know, there's an educational component to all of this. Uh, Resources like boomers are essential to people understanding this because that's that's also a reality as we move forward with cannabis knowledge we are perfecting you know uh, the, uh, not only our knowledge but the effects it has on people because deep down if you ask me like should people trying to medicate really have to go through the experience of trial and error I'm saying in, a, in an ideal world, not really. They just just be handed out the right thing for them from, from moment one, not have a couple bad trips, you know, or, or undesired effects before you find the right uh, strain, product, dose, presentation, input method, right? That's um, right. And, and yeah. you know, standardization is key to that. And I'm not saying every cannabis products should be standardized. Maybe people, you know, we can definitely have adult use products where it's just like some bud and you hope it was the 
kind of bite you wanted. But then there's definitely some applications where we need this predictability. And there's a lot of developments out there as well as in the works to help people predict how their experience will work out, right? And again, this is something you do, Tom, right? It's like you just log into products and, and tell people like, well, I would suggest you, if you're, you know, if, if this is your ailment, you should try and, and, and try these sorts of products first, right? They seem to have a track record treating them in the past. We want that predictability in, in many cases, but, you know, Trying our resource is also good. It just will probably and does probably dissuade uh, some people who could potentially be treated with cannabis from uh, actually going for this treatment just because it's not working for them. And I've seen that a lot. No, it got me too high. No, it didn't get me high. No, it didn't ease my pain. Right? I've heard that a lot. And, and that is certainly something that should and probably will not happen in just a couple of years where someone will just go into a store and go like, hey, my back hurts. And the person selling this cannabis will go, this is the product for you. It's an ointment. No, but I want to, no, no, this is, this is what you need. Like it, you can try other products, but it, like you need a topical for this or you need a sublingual for that. And it's right. this sort and this dose yes. like any other medication, right? I recently had Dr. Benjamin Kaplan on, and he runs the Seed Clinic and Seed Foundation out in Massachusetts. And, mm-hmm. he, and he is bringing cannabis into his medical practice, and he talks about sort of the matching that you need to do between the plant and the and the patient. Another aspect of this is not that you need to endlessly do trial and error, but you need to listen to your body in a way that is different from the normal traditional. American relationship between a, a patient and a doctor. I mean, in t- yeah. t- the traditional relationship is you go in and say, you know, I got a backache, doc, and he gives you some pills and you go home and take them. But now with cannabis, it's going to be, okay, I'm going to give you this and I want you to listen to your body and tell me how, how it works for you and we'll go from there. Well, funny you mentioned though, because that is certainly something I do believe we need to reassess as a culture. The fact that a doctor goes, here's some opioids, take them and you don't listen to your body, you're feeling like crap and having night terrors and this and this and that. And, and it's like, oh yeah, but doctor's orders. Well, guess what? That doctor probably did, was not considering every factor, right? Or was not completely well-informed, right? Or, or is definitely influenced by a, 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 a culture of extreme drug consumption like we have in America. I mean, it's, it, it, that should be a relationship with every sort of therapy listen to your body. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's crazy that only now cannabis does generate that, a certain a certain state of mindfulness. Well, you grow cannabis at your home and suddenly you love every plant and you're in touch with every, every plant and you consume cannabis and you become mindful of your surroundings or the people around you or certain sensations in your body, right? That is certainly something that it's an approach that we should be taking as a society toward life in general, right? Uh, and, and, and doctors are only being more careful because it's new and no one wants to get in trouble. Well, guess what? Maybe it's a, it's a good practice in general. <laughs> right. You know, mindfulness, A, and B, you know, taking some responsibility on, on your own for your health and well-being. That means besides cannabis, it probably means watching what you eat and, you know, getting some exercise. That might be the real entourage effect as we, I talked mm-hmm. about with Dr. Kaplan is, you know. I like that. The, 
the, the positive effects of diet and exercise and cannabis can really go a long way to helping you live a, a life of wellness. I just got another one of my recurring quotes right here. That's a real entourage effect. I'm quoting you and Dr. Kaplan on that. Oh, good. Good. I can Let's do a double violin for that one. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> well, Javier, I think we've had a great conversation. Um, I want to let people know where to find you online. So it's um, my name and surname, and you'll be able to find me everywhere. It's J-A-V-I-E-R. Last name is H-A-S-S-E, Javier Hasse. I'm on Twitter. Uh, you, if you type it in, it shows up like an official Google knowledge box. On You can find me on uh, LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and Amazon. You can read all of our stuff, uh, my team stuff on Benzinga.com slash cannabis. You can find me on Forbes, often on High Times, Dope Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine. So, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan of self-promotion, so but it's, this is pretty weird. Uh, <laughs> but just, you know, feel free to follow me. And if you don't like what I share, feel free to unfollow me. I am trying to do nothing but put out into the world. So, you know, let's hope some of that love reaches anyone who chooses to follow. Yeah. And you're not hard to find. You're everywhere. So we can find you. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing you on Twitter and and. Facebook and LinkedIn and all over the place. Um, we'll carry on the conversation and then, uh, you know, maybe we can do this again sometime. Would love to. Would love to. And I really appreciate you thinking of me, you having me over. And honestly, a kind of conversation it has been fun and entertaining and certainly food for thought. You know, I will, I will listen to this a couple of times and just take notes of, of your comments as well. Because um, as I mentioned, I, I really like to take in what you know, others think. Well, and I know our listeners are going to really enjoy this episode. You're a guy with the front seat at, again, the social revolution of our time. And uh, it's a heck of a story. And I really look forward to hearing your, your dispatches and reading them as you go, because there's so many aspects of this to be told yet. And, and you're right there with a front row seat. So thank you for taking the time to share your expertise with us. And again, maybe we can do this again in the future. Please have anyone who wants to get a front row seat as well to reach out. I'll hook you up with tickets. Um, <laughs> I believe this is something that everyone should be able to be a part of and experience. So I'll let you take it away from here. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Javier. Thank you. Have a good one. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.